0: You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. teams one national championship trophy which team will be standing in the end the college football playoff is here rocking rich sermonello this is what it's all about which team will be standing at the end and i'm amped up for these college playoff games this week
1: impossible not to be fired up joe i i think if you're a fan of football specifically college football Yeah, this is what we've been waiting for all season long. Alabama, obviously the team to beat, defending national champion Darth Vader. Can anyone bring this team down? I just can't wait to see them against Washington and obviously Clemson against Ohio State. Great coaching matchups. Just a fantastic playoff set uh, set up.
0: Rich and I have a great show planned for you today. We're going to break down each game for the next hour. If you want to talk college football with us, tweet us at go for the two. That's the number two or tweet Rich at Rich Sermonello. That's C-I-R-M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. The big one starts at eight o'clock tonight, Ohio State and Clemson. And then earlier Bama and Washington, Rich, to me, when I look at both the both games uh, in this playoff, for me, when I look at these matchups, I mean, we really have contrast in styles. I mean, the Ohio State Clemson matchup, you have a, a high octane offense led by Deshaun Watson with a more methodical offense led by J T Barrett, and then you just have a big blue collar, uh, I want to say, uh, train, uh, a roller coaster train, a, a Mack truck in Alabama that just. Berries. everybody in their path with a finesse offense that can play both styles in the Washington Huskies led by their coach Chris Peterson. That's what makes these two games very intriguing because whichever team could dictate tempo early on, in my opinion, will probably move on to the national championship game.
1: And in terms of macro uh, angles and storylines, Joe, what I look at is the coaching matchups. I love the personalities. I love the pedigree of these coaches. Obviously, we know about Nick Saban, arguably the best college football coach of all time. He goes up against Chris Peterson. Chris Peterson became a national phenomenon with Boise State. And the upsets that he was able to pull as Cinderella beating Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl, that's when we really started to learn about Chris Peterson. And on the opposite side... I think you have the second best coach in college football in Urban Meyer, who has done a phenomenal job with the youngest team in the country, bringing them to this point against Dabo Sweeney, who now has Clemson rocking into the playoffs for a second straight season, back to back ACC titles. So in terms of a 30,000 feet macro picture, I adore. Door the matchup between these four coaches
0: and that's the one thing when you think about Nick Saban he gets all the hoopla and rightfully so I mean what he's done in Alabama he won a national championship at LSU won four with the Crimson Tide but we never hear Dabo Sweeney mention that he's a big game killer I mean look at the teams he's knocked off over the last four or five years Ohio State LSU he knocked off Oklahoma twice in back-to-back years one of them the college football playoff Notre Dame he's knocked off Auburn he never he's on the, the cusp but he never seems to be mentioned when you think about these great coaches we hear Peterson we hear Nick Saban but why isn't Dabo Sweeney put with those coaches because again he's a players coach but he always has his teams prepared in a big spot. And, oh, by the way, he's knocked off everyone in his path without outside the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide in that last year's national championship game. And that was
1: a great effort, too. I mean, that was a game they were that right they there. clearly could have won late. Yeah, I mean, he did a tremendous job. I think you bring up a, a, a very cogent, thought-provoking concept, which is why isn't Sweeney getting more attention, more love? I can only imagine... If it's the fact that he needs a national championship, Urban Meyer has one. Yeah, but Chris Peterson doesn't. Peterson doesn't. And that's a good point. Peterson doesn't. But what Peterson did was kind of quirky. He he brought a Boise State, uh, a group of five, a Mountain West school into the national lexicon. So that's sort of... It wasn't a national championship, but he elevated a program. He made Boise State a program that we had to pay attention to every season. For Sweeney, it has to be a national championship. I mean, that's got to be the next step for him, for him to get into that kind of uh, iconic category with other coaches he's not going to reach Nick Saban or Urban Meyer until he gets a few national championships but I think that's the next threshold for him
0: well that's a great point but when he took over Boise State Dan Hawkins brought it to respectability it wasn't like Boise State was four and eight overall I mean they were a solid team under Dan Hawkins and then when he took the job at Colorado Chris Peterson moved in and took it to another level but they were respectable and they were playing solid football throughout Dan Hawkins' career. So, I mean, I'm just shocked when you hear about the, the praise that Chris Peterson has brought in, in Washington and how he gets mentioned as one of these top coaches, why they're in the same breath. We're not mentioning Dabo Sweeney. It's just like, oh, he's the player's coach. But the, the players coach has knocked off the big boys like LSU, like Ohio State and Urban Meyer a few years ago, 35-31, when he had a quarterback in Taj Boyd. And look at what he's lost on the defensive side of the ball the last couple of years. And his defense over the last couple of years has been one of the most dominant in college football. I'd have to really I'd have to ask people, Joe. I'm I'm not sure where people
1: would rank them. But do you think that do you think that the average guy or even the average guy in the media, do you think they rank Peterson ahead of Sweeney? Because I mean I don't. I, I think Sweeney right now is the better coach. That's taking nothing away from Chris Peterson. But I'm not sure are you getting a feeling that Chris Peterson is ranked higher than Sweeney?
0: I, I, I feel that way. I feel like when you see, oh, Chris Peterson, what he's done with Washington, I feel like it's not the same when they talk about Dabo Sweeney. When they win a ball game, it's Dabo and his crew, Clemson pride, but when Peterson does it at Washington, it's, oh, the, the, what he's done from a philosophy standpoint. Uh, Dabo Sweeney is a solid, solid game planner. I mean, he pushed Nick Saban to the limit last year with his offense. His team did not fear Alabama in any way, shape, or form, and that's the one thing I think when you look at a Dabo Sweeney coach team, they do not fear anyone on their schedule, including Alabama, and that's why they really are, in my opinion, the most dangerous team out of this whole playoff.
1: Yeah, and one more point on on the Sweeney Peterson debate. I think, and this is, I think we've grown now accustomed to expecting. 10 or 11 wins out of Clemson. So I, I think that's now baked in every season. We recognize they're a terrific team. They recruit exceptionally well, as well as anyone, including Florida State and the ACC. Washington might be just a bit trendier, Joe, because we haven't seen them in this position since the beginning of the century. So if, if, if there's a little more love for Pete at this point, it just be it could be because we haven't seen Washington here and they're a little bit buzzier than Clemson because Clemson, we expect to see that every year.
0: Well, here's what I judge when I say who's hot, right? I look at an LSU job. Was Dabo Sweeney ever mentioned for LSU? No. Why not? But, but, should he, but should he be that? But well, why not?
1: Clemson, Cle, because Clemson's every bit as good a job as LSU. Okay, in but isn't
0: Florida State as good as any job? As Why was Jimbo Fisher mentioned? <sighs> Only because he had a
1: pass there, because he had been Nick's offensive coordinator. I, to me, I think he's mentioned at LSU because of the past history with the program. The only program that I would say that about Sweeney and watch it happen when Nick Saban retires someday, because Dabo is a an right. Alabama graduate, I do expect his name to, to be strongly associated with Alabama. So for Jimbo, I think it was just more of a connection to LSU.
0: Well, that's the one thing, I, and I I can understand that. I'm just saying, when you hear these big jobs, Texas, I mean, it was never mentioned, Dabo Sweeney was never thrown in the mix. It's a better We're
1: job, even... though. I think that's why Clemson is such a good oh, job Oh, I agree with days, you. I agree you
0: know? with you. No, I agree with that. But what I'm saying is we haven't heard him mentioned with some of the mm-hmm. other more key coaches. You know, we've even heard Nick Saban being swayed with the Texas job throughout the yeah. year. So why not Dabo Sweeney? I mean, if we're going to hear Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney's a younger guy. He's brought up Clemson to dominance in the ACC. Mm -hmm. He's knocked off Florida State, but why Jimbo Fisher gets mentioned for every job and Dabo Sweeney seems to just be making six figures at at Clemson? That's just the point. that i That's my perception on it, and I wanted yours, but that's why I think when I look at all these coaches involved, Dabo Sweeney's the most dangerous out of all these four teams in the playoff.
1: I think Clemson is very dangerous. I won't give a prediction just yet, but I just tip my hand as to who I like against in the Ohio State game. I, I love Clemson. I love what he's done. I've talked to the Clemson players; they adore playing for him. So you, you know, we say players coach. Sometimes that comes off as derogatory—that he's soft. But that's not the case. He has created a culture at Clemson in which kids along the Atlantic Seaboard, four- and five-star kids, want to be a part of that program. That is the bedrock of Clemson. The foundation is the talent they bring in, the way they coach them up, the way they prepare them to be next-level players. He has something phenomenal going in Clemson, and I think it's enduring as well.
0: Well, we'll see how it plays out. That is the second game. We'll break that down in the second hour of the show. We'll start with the big one, Alabama number 1, 13-0 overall, playing Chris Peterson and the Washington Huskies. This is really an intriguing battle because I really think that when you look at Washington overall, uh, Rich, it, to me, I think their defense is not getting enough credit, and I really think they'll be in this ball game from start to finish. I think, and I'm calling for a upset here. I think they can lay the woodshed to Alabama. I'm calling for a four. I'm going, going out right now with the prediction and we could dial it back 42 to 28 over Alabama. I think the way you beat Alabama speed is you have to attack them straight on in terms of from an offensive philosophy on vertical seam routes and they have the wide receivers in my opinion that can do it in John Ross and Dante Pettis that have combined Rich for 31 touchdowns on the year 1900 receiving yards hundred and twenty-six receptions, and you're talking about a defense that is number one in turnover margin, plus twenty-one in FBS leads all of college football. I love Washington in this battle. Well,
1: yeah, I I, uh, I couldn't disagree more. Uh, <laughs> like Alabama to win comfortably, I. I I don't think it'll be as lopsided, Joe, as last year's Alabama-Michigan State game, but I do see a similar blueprint. And I'll, I'll take you back to, to November. And I love Washington, and I really like what Peterson has done. I love the individual talent. from As far as the Pac-12 measuring stick, they've done a phenomenal job. Clearly the best team in that conference. Love the secondary. Jake Browning has a great future. But when I go back to the SEC tape... Uh, I'm sorry, the, the SC tape, the Southern California tape. That was a game in which the Trojans absolutely manhandled Washington at the point of attack. The problem that I have is that Washington offensive line, it's not the skill position players. Miles Gaskin can play in any conference. You mentioned Pettis and Ross. Ross is a superstar. Love the kid. But offensive line, I think they're going to get mauled much the way USC did to Washington back in November. That defense, obviously I won't spend too much time talking about it. We all know know about the defensive players led by Jonathan Allen. But I think they're going to crush the Washington offensive line. I think it's going to be a long afternoon for Jake Browning.
0: Well, I, I disagree with that. I'll tell you how you could beat uh, Alabama's pass rush and neutralize the speed, not just on vertical routes, but look for screen passes with Gaskin to take the pressure off the offensive line. That's the way you have to neutralize a pass rush is if they're bringing eight and nine guys, you have to throw the football in the flat to your playmakers, get those offensive linemen out in the flat and and block down the field. And I think they can do it. Chris Peterson has shown a propensity in Big Big ball games. You look at that ball game against Oklahoma. Back in the day, he mixed it up and he found ways to get his playmakers the football. He's going to have to find ways to get Gaskin, Ross, and Pettis involved early. We'll see how it plays out. I gave my prediction already, but we're going to break this game down in detail. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be breaking down this marquee semifinal playoff between Alabama and Washington. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Keep it where it is. Back on college football game day right here from the Fantasy Sports Radio Network state-of-the-art studios right here in Rockin' Riley's. Rich and I are breaking down the semifinal game between Alabama and Washington. I'm all over the Huskies in this matchup. I really think their speed on the offensive side of the ball with John Ross, Dante Pettis can really attack Alabama's secondary, but not to be an Alabama hater because, Rich, I know people are going to think that I am hating on Alabama. They are a dynamic offense led by freshman phenom Jalen Hurts that's averaging 40 points per game, rushing for 245 yards on- on the ground and passing for 226 yards through the air. Just phenomenal what Lane Kiffin has been able to do with the offensive t- talent in Tuscaloosa.
1: Yeah, and, and I think this is one of those games where they're going to bully the ball between the, the tackles. I, I think you'll see a lot of Damian Harris, Bo Scarborough, Josh Jacobs, and, and then occasionally you're going to see a mix of Uh, of the young quarterback, uh, Jalen Hurts, outside the tackles. He has grown as a passer. Our Darius Stort, the wide receiver, Calvin Ridley, that matchup against the Washington secondary should be lights out for college fans, NFL scouts alike. Uh, But to me, the key is not just the Alabama defense, Joe. It's the knots. It's the non-offensive touchdowns. Nobody in the country had more than Alabama. I think this sets up as one of those games where the offense will be pretty good, although I love the Washington D, but I expect to see multiple non-offensive touchdowns, either special teams, defensive scores. You talk about big plays from the Washington offense. I mean, against that Alabama defense, I don't see it. Look at the back end with Minka Fitzpatrick. And Marlon Humphrey, so much talent in that secondary. I think they neutralized Pettis Ross. I'd love to see it be competitive. I Obviously, I want to see it be a competitive game. I just don't think it happens in the second half. Oh,
0: I agree with you. I mean, Alabama has playmakers. I mean, Reuben Foster, Tim Williams. I mean, uh, Jonathan Allen. The list goes on and on at every position. I mean, that's what Nick Saban does. He gets top five talent. He cultivates up that top five talent. And every player on that offense and defense, when they get called upon, expect to produce because that's Alabama football. I'm not taking away from the success that Nick Saban and Lane K. Hiffin have done there. And let's not forget what Jeremy Pruitt has done on the defensive side of the ball because Kirby Smart did a fantastic job for seven seasons in Tuscaloosa moved on to, the, to become head coach at Georgia. Well, Jeremy Pruitt stepped up and this defense possibly can be the best in Tuscaloosa in recent years. They're only allowing 11 points per game and 63 rushing yards per game against opposing offenses. I mean, when you look at what the offense have been can't do on that defensive front seven. There's only been two offenses that have rushed for over 100 yards on this Crimson Tide defensive front seven. Ole Miss at 101 and Texas A&M in the loss, 114. So Washington needs to have some success on the ground to loosen up Alabama's defensive front seven.
1: The one matchup I, I, I like most of all, Joe, and I know you're someone who is an aficionado of the uh, the chess match, uh, in in college football, NFL, right. but the offensive mind of Chris Peterson versus the defensive minds. You mentioned Jeremy Pruitt, obviously Nick Saban. That is going to be just a remarkable chess match because Peterson does do a phenomenal job, and we've seen it throughout history, of game planning offensively. He'll have wrinkles in that game plan we haven't seen all season long. He'll have plays that catch Alabama off guard. So I have a great deal of respect for his offensive acumen but I just think the defensive playmakers and the time that Saban has had to prepare for that Washington offense will just be too much for the Huskies.
0: Well, you're, you bring up great points, and I, I will say this about, you're right, he will throw the kitchen sink because I mean, there's nothing to lose. I mean, this is the end of the road here. I mean, either you win and move on to the national championship or your season's over. So, if you want to play for a title, you have to throw the kitchen sink at Alabama. There's a three uh, ways to beat Alabama and I really think that these are are necessary to beat the Crimson Tide. You need to win the turnover battle, number one. You need to score first, whether it be a field goal or a touchdown. It sounds so uh, little, but it has a huge impact on putting the pressure on Jalen Hurts in that offense. If you look at Alabama throughout the years of their national championship runs, they find a way to score first and dictate the tempo. It's very rare that teams score first on Alabama and put the pressure back on their quarterback and their offense to match them score for score. That's why I like Washington in this matchup, because I feel from a playmaker perspective, they have the personnel to get Alabama out of their base defense. I mean, when you look at it overall, I mean, Pettis and Ross are playmakers on the outside. They can get Alabama out of their defensive front seven. They can play five wide, they can also utilize the short-to-intermediate passing game, which I think they're going to have to do with Gaskin in terms of screens and short-to-intermediate throws to get Browning into a rhythm. But they have the personnel to also play up-tempo, which has given Alabama problems at times. And you look at some of the games that they struggled this year. Look at that game against Ole Miss. They op- they fell behind in that battle, Rich, 24-3. to Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, a different kind of a quarterback. I mean, the quarterback that's usually given problems to the Alabama defense tends to be a little bit more mobile. Not that Chad Kelly is a dual threat, but somebody who can make plays outside of the pocket. Johnny Manziel, we saw that. Uh, on multiple occasions when he was at Texas A&M. Jake Browning, not that kind of a quarterback. And I have a great deal of respect for Browning. I think he's going to have a tremendous second half of his career in Seattle. But you need to have a quarterback who can make plays outside of the pocket browning is not going to be that kind of a kid that's a concern of mine as well and i I think it's unfortunate because i had fun watching uh, watching washington this season i think they could arguably be the second best team in the country i think they can compete with an ohio state and a clemson but alabama in this spot with time with their pedigree With their experience as a championship squad, because so many of those players on last year's title team back this year, they know what it takes to win a championship. I think that is just too tall of a hurdle at this point for chris peterson and the huskies
0: oh i see your point and that's the way everybody feels i think in order you need to have a, a mentality to beat alabama that's what clemson did and they didn't get the job done but they were they stood toe to toe like a heavyweight battle you cannot go into this battle and fear alabama you have to go in and say we're gonna take the game to alabama if you're defeated before you even step on the field lights out. They'll dominate you. I, and, and the third thing when I said about beating Alabama is you need to shut down their running attack. I know it sounds crazy, but if you can force Jalen Hurts to throw over the top, put him in third down and long situations, you have an opportunity. I will say this too about the layoff. We think it could be a, a benefit for Nick Saban, maybe from a defensive perspective. I'm a big pro- proponent of this too is in terms of timing offenses. Sometimes when an offense is in rhythm like Jalen Hurts and, and you clicking on all cylinders, the long layoff could be a detriment. And let's keep in mind, last year, Jay Coker was a senior. You know, he was a, a senior guy that wanted to go out. He didn't have a great career at Florida State. He played sparingly. This was his first playoff game playing against Connor Cook in Michigan State. Jalen Hurts is a true freshman. And even though he stepped up all year long, you now have a long layoff with a true freshman at the helm in a playoff game, keep that. I, I think that'll be a yeah, factor in, no, the, no. in the in the in this matchup. Under normal circumstances,
1: obviously hard to disagree with you, Joe. I mean, a rookie quarterback, a teenager, in a playoff game uh, against the Washington defense, which is loaded with talent. But as I watched Jalen Hurts this fall, he just seemed unflappable to me. I mean, this was a true freshman by class but the way he carried himself he really carried himself like a fourth year junior he and did. that was yeah that that was big games throughout the season that was your LSU your comeback against Ole Miss your Florida in the SEC title game so I don't have a ton of concern about Hurts let me ask you one more question real sure. quick any concern about Lane Kiffin one foot in one foot out I mean any kind of should we be worried about the continuity factor as the offensive coordinator prepares to be the Florida Atlantic with, coach?
0: Without a doubt, because it is Lane Kiffin. If it was anybody else, we saw Kirby Smart take the job last year with Georgia, right? He coached straight through the national championship game. He was playing dual duty, so to speak. And a lot of fans said, will Kirby Smart be disciplined? He was working 21, 22 hours, de- well, 21, 22. He was up all night working both mm-hmm. sides of the fence for Alabama and for Georgia. If you're asking me, Lane Kiffin, one foot out the door, <laughs> I can't trust him. I'm sorry. Yeah. For, for yeah. what he did in Tennessee, I would never trust Lane Kiffin again. Yeah, he's a fantastic offensive coordinator. He's playing lights out. He's coaching up the talent. But I don't trust the guy. He's a Bobby Petrino type of guy, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's an interesting angle for fans to, to keep in mind that Lane Kiffin despite being the head coach down in Boca Raton he is going to be the offensive coordinator one final time uh, at Alabama before he's replaced by Steve Sarkeesian. and and Nick Saban runs a very tight ship i think he'll be on Kiffin you know right up until kickoff But that's something that should be watched closely throughout this game.
0: And I'll say this about Washington's defense. They're only giving up 17 points per game, 123 rushing yards per game, and only 192 passing yards to opposing offenses. I've been very impressed with their red zone defense at the end of the year. The way they force teams to methodically work down the field and kick field goals instead of touchdowns. Buda Baker and that secondary have played very well against the better teams in the Pac-12. That could be a matchup that plays out in this matchup against Jalen Hurts. So that's why I like Washington in this battle. Yeah, a couple of quickies.
1: Love the defense of Washington. Names that we didn't get a chance to talk about. Elijah Qualls, Vita Veya up front. Terrific all Pac-12 players. But two of their best defenders, Joe Mathis, Azeem Victor. Victor is a linebacker. Not playing, haven't been playing for a while. But those are two kids that I think they're going to miss against the diverse attack of Alabama.
0: We'll see how it plays out. I call 42-28. to 28. What's your score? I know you'll have Alabama moving yeah,
1: on. I do. I have a 34-13, to 13, Joe. I, I think two of the offensive touchdowns from Alabama will not come from the offense. Uh, wow. I think a couple of non-offensive touchdowns. 34-13 to 13, Alabama does move on to the National
0: Championship. Wow, Rich likes Alabama. I like Washington. We'll take a quick break. We'll break down Ohio State and Clemson. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network from Rockin' Riley's. Taking a quick break. Keep it where it is. Back on College Football Game Day, right here from the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Rockin' Riley State of the Art Studio, right here in the Big Apple. We're talking about the Marquee semifinal game, Urban Meyer and Ohio State, Dabo, Sweeney, and Clemson Rich. I'm salivating at this matchup. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I am too. I really can't wait to see this game of all the bowl games. This is the one that holds my interest the most. There are so many good matchups on both sides of the ball. We we touched on the coaching matchup. But such prime talent at Ohio State and Clemson, hard to separate these two teams. Whereas, you know, Alabama-Washington, Alabama's favored by a couple of touchdowns. This is a toss-up game. I think it's the kind of game we'll expect to see. JT Barrett versus Deshaun Watson, all of those good defensive players in the Ohio State secondary and the Clemson D-line. I think this is as good as advertised, Joe. I think it's going to be an instant classic when these two teams get together. You're
0: showing it on uh, ESPN before they even play the game. It's a rematch of three years ago, the Orange mm-hmm. Bowl, 35-31. Clemson did get that victory. You cannot take away what this defense has done for Clemson. I mean, they just all they do is they remind me of Alabama because they lose eight, nine starters. They just plug in new guys and they just step up and play at an elite level. They're only giving up 18 points per game. They're only giving up 125 rushing yards per game and 188 passing yards to opposing offenses. You look at last year's statistics, almost identical. And they lost seven starters from this defense. Brett Venables, Dabo Sweeney, they just reload and they are coaching that talent up in Death Valley. And they're coaching up the young
1: talent too, Joe. You know, it's one thing to say, you know, next man in is a junior or a senior finally getting his first opportunity to start. But two of the kids up front that really blew me away this year were Christian Wilkins, and Dexter Lawrence. Lawrence is a true freshman, blue chipper, five-star player. Both of those kids were dominant at the line of scrimmage. This is where I think Clemson could have their biggest advantage because Ohio State, yes, they have Pat Elfline. They have good offensive linemen. There were a couple of times this year, specifically the second half of that Penn State game, where that offensive line got exposed. That's a big problem against Clemson and Venables because they are a big boy defensive line
0: they are and I will say this it's a contrast I'm really intrigued to see which team can dictate the tempo for their style because I don't think Ohio State can get into a shootout in this matchup with Deshaun Watson even though JT Barrett and the offense showed that early in the year against Oklahoma shooting out with Baker Mayfield they dominated that matchup they're going to need to run the football consistently. I, I will say this about Clemson overall. The one thing that scares me about this team overall entering this battle, and it was their M.O. last year, they finished negative in turnover margin last year. Minus two, even though they made it to the national championship game. You could look at that national championship game. The one turnover really cost them the matchup because they had an opportunity to be up possibly 21-7 to against Alabama. Deshaun Watson threw that interception... And and then Alabama tied that ball game at 14 apiece. Entering this ball game, they're even in turnover margin. They're negative on the road. You cannot win big ball games, especially in in playoff atmosphere, if you're going to lose the turnover battle. You might get to a certain point, but you're not going to win a national championship. I'm sorry. You can look at the last two years, the teams that have won national championships were positive in turnover margin, and Clemson's not creating turnovers this year. Part of the problem
1: also is the fact that Deshaun Watson was careless with the ball this season. Forced a few too many throws had too many interceptions. That is one of the issues with the turnover margin issues that they've had. And I think they have too much defensive talent, Joe, not to be creating more more turnovers. You look at a Cordrea Tankersley. He'll be playing on Sundays on the back level, the cornerback. But offensively, you need to see the Deshaun Watson that played well at the end of the season that is also a storyline. He was up and down. There was a reason why he finished as the runner-up to the uh, to Lamar Jackson for the Heisman. Didn't play with great consistency. Now he has to face the Ohio State defensive backfield, which grew up very quickly throughout the season, littered with sophomores. Right, Marshawn Lattimore, Malik Hooker, uh, an All American, Denzel Ward, all three sophomores, along with the junior. Uh, Gary and Conley, so this is one of the top secondaries that he has faced, if not the best, all season long, so the decision making of Deshaun Watson that'll be under my mic- microscope uh, microscope for this game. Well,
0: here's the thing about the difference between Clemson's offense this year and last year: they were more balanced last year. They averaged 224 rushing yards per game last year and 291 yards through the air. They averaged 38 points as an offense. Yeah, they're putting up 40 points per game this season, but they're more one-dimensional in terms of the passing attack. They're average averaging 332 passing yards per game, 173 yards on the ground. But it hasn't been coming from Deshaun Watson. This year, Rich, he's only averaged 4.1 yards per carry. He's rushed for 529 yards, six touchdowns. Compared to 2015, he was 1,105 rushing yards, 5.5 yards per carry, and 12 rushing touchdowns. It's a different offense. And you look at their offense as a whole. In 11 of the 15 games last year, they rushed for 200 yards or more. Entering this battle, they've only rushed for 200 yards or more five times. They're going to need a better effort against this front seven in Ohio State. We talked about that, Joe, throughout the season. It seems like every time
1: Clemson came up, one of the topics that we touched on was the suspect ability of that running game to crank out yards. Part of it was Deshaun Watson. Wayne Gallman had an OK season, just over a thousand yards, five yards a carry. But I expected this to be a more dominant ground game. Uh, The offensive line, led by Mitch Hyatt, was a year older, but they were up and down. I couldn't agree with you more. I think they need more balance. I think they need more of a presence from that ground game to complement Deshaun Watson because when there's even an ounce of unpredictability on that offense for defenses— he is unstoppable with those wide receivers, Mike Williams, Deion Kane, the tight end Jordan Leggett, but they need balance, and, and that's why, for me, one of the X factors is Wayne Gallman. I, I think they need to get him over 100 yards to maximize the potential of that offense. And
0: here's the the chess match that's going to play out. You have two offenses in Clemson and Ohio State. We'll get to Ohio State's offense and defense in a little bit, but... Both solid in terms of third-down conversions. Clemson at 51%, Ohio State at 48%, and both defenses are rock-solid in third-down defense. Ohio State allowing thirty percent, Clemson twenty nine percent. So here's the th- the chess match that's going to play out. Which defense is going to force third down and long situations to put pressure on the offensive line and put pressure on the opposing quarterback? Because I think if Clemson cannot run the football consistently and they can't run with Deshaun Watson, this is going to be a tough ball game. Especially when you're not creating turnovers, when you're not winning the turnover battle each and every series or every game, like Clemson. They they've been they've been they've lost a turnover battle in big ball games this year you can't afford to do that against Ohio State because they're one of the top teams in turnover margin plus 16 overall and they've done it on the road this year so that's the one thing about urban Meyer he stresses turnovers he stresses physicality on the offense and defensive lines and he loves to put his quarterback and offense in third down and short situations.
1: Yeah, and it's elementary, uh, obviously. For It's football 101. You don't want to be pressed into third and long situations. You really don't want to be pressed into third and long against that Ohio State secondary. I don't want to belabor the point. But in terms of defensive backfields that have matured quickly, they're as good as any in the country. I mean, they are loaded on the back end. So if Deshaun Watson is in obvious passing situations, it's third and seven, third and eight, third and nine, those are the type of scenarios in which he's likely to be picked off. And again, I'll go back to it. They have to run the ball, they have to be successful grinding it out on first and second down to set up Watson in more manageable third down situations. Yeah,
0: you can look at the Pittsburgh game. I mean, Pittsburgh, they they had that game won. He threw the interception on the goal line. How about Louisville? They had an 18-point lead and allowed Lamar Jackson to take the lead because of turnovers. So this is a team, again, that hasn't shown consistency in that regard. And you look at Ohio State's defense. You want to talk about statistics? They're allowing 17 points per game, Rich. They're very solid in run support, only giving up 117 rushing yards per game to opposing offenses. They're only allowing 164 passing yards to opposing quarterbacks yeah. and they've only allowed one team all year and I know this is going to surprise you one team all year has completed 60 percent or more of their passes. take a guess which team that was. Uh, Wisconsin <sighs> out of all the teams it was Michigan at the end of wow. the year. Can wow. you believe that? With Wilton Spate with one shoulder exactly. I, I mean I- it's shocking when you think about all the teams that they've played, Michigan yeah. was the one to attack their secondary. Yeah, listen,
1: I I love the defensive talent of Ohio State. I think this game sets up as such an incredible chess match. Offense, defense, defense, offense. You have terrific special teamers as well. So much talent on both sides of the ball. This is the kind of game you'd be accustomed to seeing as a national championship if, if it were not for Alabama at this point. But the Ohio State defense, not just good, Joe, but good and young. I mean, a lot of the contributors were sophomores. Look up front, Sam Hubbard, sophomore, You have Nick Bosa, true freshman. These are kids that were good in September, but now that we've gotten to December and January, they're on the brink of really becoming dominant players.
0: And you want to talk about defensive fronts because this will be a matchup that you want to see play out. Ohio State right now has been suspect in terms of protecting JT Barrett. They've allowed 25 sacks as an offensive line unit. You look at Clemson on the year, 46 sacks out of that defensive front seven. I mean, it's amazing when you think about And I keep saying what Brett Venables and Dabo Sweeney have done, because last year they had 48 sacks through the national championship game. 24 and a half of them went out the door this year with Shaq Lawson and Kevin Dodd that accounted for 24 and a half sacks each. And for them to reload and still have 46 sacks in their first play, you know, entering their first playoff game. I mean, that's a phenomenal statistic. Yeah, especially at a position
1: like defensive line, which is one of the most coveted positions for any university. Everybody is looking for those you know, 6'5", 275-pound defensive ends that can get to the quarterback. They're few and far between. Only a handful of blue-chip players are getting those types of stars. Clemson is doing it year in and year out. And again, much like Ohio State, it is with youth. It's with It's with Lawrence up front. It's with Wilkins up front. Cleland Farrell, the defensive end, has played well in spurts, has flashed as a pass rusher. So they're just getting better as well. And I think that's a significant edge, Joe. That defensive line, Venable's defensive line, against the somewhat erratic Ohio State offensive line, I think that's where Clemson's going to have a big edge.
0: We'll take a quick break. When we come back, Rich and I will be giving our prediction and analysis, final thoughts about Ohio State and Clemson. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonella on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on college football game day, final segment of the show Ohio State and Clemson. Rich, this is really the most intriguing battle of all the bowl season and the college football playoff. I like Ohio State here, I really do. I'm a big Clemson backer, I know I've built them up throughout the show, and I can't take away what Dabo Sweeney has done. But you're talking about a coach in Urban Meyer that all he does is win baby and he finds different ways no matter how big the ball game his teams respond they expect to win this ball game and I'm back in the Buckeyes here
1: Listen, it is with a great deal of trepidation that I bet against Urban Meyer in a big game. So I think you're spot on, Joe. I mean, he is about as as good a big game coach in this spot. So it's tough. It's tough to go against him. I just, a couple of factors. Number one, I've mentioned it a few times. Love the defensive line of Clemson. I think they're going to stand out. They're going to be the one unit amongst all units that really stands out in this Fiesta Bowl against that Ohio State offensive line. And number two... Big games, I center on coaches when we break them down. I also center on quarterbacks. I think Deshaun Watson is peaking at the right time of the season, playing his best football at the end of November and early December. I think that continues in this matchup. I have not been impressed by JT Barrett. I thought I would be this season. I thought he would be a legitimate Heisman contender, but the more I watched him, the more I questioned his footwork, the more I questioned his throwing motion, his decisions. He was at times a liability in that offense. It was crazy. Curtis Samuel, who was their best offensive player. At times it was Mike Weber who was their best offensive player. It was not JT Barrett. So I think the quarterback edge goes firmly to Clemson. Again, I think it's a classic. I think it's close. I think it's relatively high scoring. I have it in the neighborhood of 34 to 30, but I think Clemson survives.
0: Here's the X factor, and I agree with you about what JT Barrett has done. I mean, his last two games have not been stellar. He's completed 25 of 54 passes, 210 yards, one touchdown, one interception. That's 46%. But let's keep in mind that when Ohio State made the, the national championship run against Oregon, he, he was hurt. Uh, Cardale Jones carried the load. How bad does J.T. Barrett want to step up here? They didn't get an opportunity last year uh, to make the playoff. They got knocked out by Michigan State. If anybody is breaking down game film, and, and, and again, we're splitting hairs because I, if you told me Joe Clemson's going to win, I'm not I'm not going to argue with that. I mean, these are two more mar- m- marquee games. Yeah. I just yep. think that you want a different mindset or a different analysis. JT Barrett wasn't involved in that national championship run. He was the odd man left out. So I think if you're going to get JT Barrett's best, it's going to be in this ball game. Uh, that's that's what an I, interesting storyline. Yeah, I, I mean, that's a very interesting angle. Yeah, but make no mistake about it. I don't think they can get into. A, I'd be shocked. I would, I'll say it right now. I, and I know they got into a high scoring game last year against Notre Dame. Different type of team. Notre Dame and Clemson, but they're not even close. I'd be shocked if Ohio State won a high-scoring game. If this game was 44-38, I'm telling you, I would be shocked. They need to get into a low-scoring game the way they did against Michigan, and I think they can do that and still utilize JT Barrett's legs in this matchup because I think the the way you have to beat Clemson is you have to keep Deshaun Watson on the sidelines, and if you look at the ballgames that they struggled this year, NC State, another low-scoring game. I mean I think that's the way you have to beat the Clemson Tigers especially at the end of the year this year. Hey, you like Ohio State. What uh, did you did you give a score yet, y'all? Not yet. I think I, I my score on this ball game, I'd say 24 I, I would say 24-20 in that area, 24. Okay. And, and that's yeah. low scoring to me because that's yeah. it's, it's oh, I don't certainly think is. I don't yeah. think 10-3, but I think exactly like a Michigan uh that Michigan game, 24-20 in that area. I'd be shocked if this game got into the 30s. The, the only time that Clemson has been
1: held that low was Auburn uh, in the opener, right? I mean, Auburn held Clemson to 19 points. Could be a similar type of a defense. I mean, Auburn's defense exceeded our expectations throughout the season. Ohio State, I think, has even more natural ability than Auburn does, so it wouldn't shock me. I I, I think once we get to the second half, once these teams feel themselves out a little bit, I expect to see a a little more offensive punch. I think both get into the 30s. Again, I have a 34-30, to but I think it's interesting that both of us have a four-point spread, which is testament (laughs) to the fact that we think it's going to be very close.
0: Again, I think the way you have to beat Clemson here, they've struggled with Lamar Jackson. Now, JT Barrett is not as elusive as Lamar Jackson. They allowed 273 rushing yards to Lamar Jackson in that victory in Death Valley. But I wouldn't be shocked if you see Urban Meyer put five wide out there, put Curtis Samuel in the slot, put Mike Weber out in the flat and and have an empty backfield and then look for JT Barrett to utilize his legs on some plays. I, I wouldn't be shocked to see that. They did that against Michigan at the end of the ballgame and JT Barrett burned that defense with his legs I think it's the same type of game plan. I, I Again, I wouldn't think that JT Barrett's going to throw for 300 in this ballgame, but get them into a low-scoring, ugly type of game, rely on that defense up front, and rely on a defense that's creating turnovers, and you have a recipe to beat Clemson uh, in this ball game.
1: And, and both teams have shown a propensity to win, sometimes ugly, right. but to win those close games. I mean, look at Ohio State this year, right? Had to rally against Wisconsin. They win that game. They struggle with Northwestern. Find a way to win. Had a tougher time than any of us thought against Michigan right. State. They win that game 17-16. to 16. Clemson... I mean, it was a it was a kicking mistake. It wasn't something that they necessarily did. But, you know, they had their hands full with NC State. They find a way. So the these are programs that know how to win, that are coached by two of the elite head coaches and two of the best coaching staffs in the country. I I think this is just a classic game that goes right down to the wire. And in games like that where it's a toss-up in the fourth quarter, Joe, I tend to go with the better quarterback. I I think this is nip and tuck right down, last team with the ball. Give give me Deshaun Watson. And Lamar Jackson justifiably won the Heisman. But if I had to pick one quarterback – to win one game, that guy is Deshaun Watson. I think that's the edge for the Tigers.
0: Yeah, yeah I, that's a great. I said that earlier in the year when we brought up the Heisman yes. Trophy with Lamar yes. Jackson, and that's why I think Deshaun Watson is the better NFL quarterback. I mean, again, mm-hmm. I'm really intrigued to see how these games play out on Saturday because that's what that's what makes this playoff so special. Is that you want to see which team can insert their style of offense and defense and assert their will to see how these out comes play out because you know that certain teams can't play a certain style I mean again Ohio State's not the same team that it was when it went on the road in Norman and played Baker mayfield from an offensive perspective they're not the same type of offensive continuity especially in the passing attack so I agree with you i'll throw one more stat at you uh, when you think about defenses there's only been three teams that have completed sixty percent or more on clemson's defense you're talking about Virginia Tech in the championship game, you're talking Louisville, and you're talking Syracuse. So again, JT Barrett's going to need to make some plays with his legs, but more importantly, going to have to make some plays with his arms as well.
1: Let me, ask, let me ask the fan in you, Joe. Is there is there a matchup in the championship game you're rooting for? I mean, are there two teams? Do you want to see the rematch, Alabama-Clemson? Is there a matchup you're kind of rooting for?
0: You know, I, I sort of want to see Ohio State and Washington because I picked them okay. number one. But because it just reminds me of that old school football back in the early 90s, you know, Ohio State and Washington played. They had a a couple of games where they played those Big Ten rivalries and Pac-12, Pac-12 rivalries back in the day. So uh, Eddie George running all over uh, Washington back in the day. So that's what I want to see. I mean, I want to see the the matchup that nobody seems to want to see. That's that's what I'm rooting for.
1: I think it's also important at this time to celebrate the playoff that we have because the two teams that you picked – Ohio State and Washington, we would not even see them with an opportunity to play for a national championship if we didn't move from two to four three years ago. So I know we get a little bit, you know, we, we sort of expect it after a while, but I'm just thrilled that we have two meaningful games to watch on Saturday.
0: This is what it's all about. Stay with us all season long. For Rich Sermonello. I'm Joe Lisi. Stay with us on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football is the best. We just love talking about it. Have a great week, everyone. back.